Good listeners, welcome, welcome back to the pod. We have got Danny back on our show today, and Danny, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Jazz. And I know how you are. You're busy. <laughs> <laughs> you know the life when you've got kids and yes, they're young. I I remember that. I remember that time. <laughs> <laughs> but look, Danny, thanks for jumping on. Like always, I appreciate your time. Uh, obviously, a lot has been happening in the markets. Like always, markets are markets. and it's the reporting season as well so there's few things that we wanted to touch on uh maybe starting with the uh the first thing i had in the list was the delta variant how do you look at the delta variant and obviously australia has gone through many lockdowns especially victoria uh how are you seeing this in the markets currently and what is your take based on what's going on over the next couple of months or maybe for the whole year and leading into next year Yeah and a really good point um because obviously New South Wales which represents a large proportion of Australia's GDP it could be as high as 25% is in a severe lockdown at the moment uh which you know all about jazz uh at the moment most of the economists are expecting a contraction in GDP for the September quarter I was ch- chatting with David Bassanese uh who's the chief economist at Beta Shares he said the contraction could be as much as 2 and a half percent so there's no denying that the lockdowns are having an impact uh, on australia on businesses but the share markets are really doing two things they're enjoying the uh, great reporting season and the huge dividend payments that are coming out of the share market at the moment and the market is also focusing on the future and currently it's adopting a half glass full approach in terms of once we reach those slated 70 to 80% vaccination rates particularly in a state such as new south wales there will be an easing in terms of the lockdowns and allowing some of the businesses to come on stream obviously if that uh time frame is delayed so at the moment probably there's an expectation that uh i i don't know whether it's end of september or end of october but certainly the prime minister is trying to indicate that he wants australia open by christmas so people can travel and if businesses and investors are taking a lead from that proposition uh then the stock markets really will be looking more towards possibly what's going on overseas or what's going on with the commodities markets such as iron ore uh because they're prepared to look past this period of very uh uncertain growth for earnings with the lockdowns because it's the expectation that you'll get a strong rebound like you did in 2020. Mhm. So obviously uh actually I was going to go into some of the uh results reporting results but before that in all the during all this period we are seeing that the whether it's the S&P 500 or whether it's the Nasdaq they all hitting their all time highs right and the looking at the market cap to gdp it's currently sitting at roughly about 2 of 205% give or take which according to the buffett indicator is extremely overvalued um do you see a big correction coming in or any kind of correction on its way seeing what there's always there's always a risk that's got that there's going to be a correction and everybody's been quite surprised that we haven't had a major or a 5% correction 
in the S&P or NASDAQ this year because it really hasn't materialised. What you've seen instead is rolling corrections going through the markets. And Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley talks about this. So you saw a major sell-off in growth stocks, in um, decarbonisation plays, uh, anything that was not part of the reflation trade in March of this year. And that continued through April. And then in May, when actually I was looking today, you got a peak in the iron ore price here, uh, or the iron ore price. Mm-hmm. You, you then actually saw a rotation back into those heavily sold off growth stocks. Now, in the last few weeks, you, you, you're seeing money, even though markets are leading higher, you've got to remember that a lot of the large cap stocks, the FANG stocks, are actually near record highs. Apple was up at a record high. Um, I think Google or Alphabet is also up near a record high. Amazon's dragging its feet a bit because there's concerns that maybe the US consumer um, it is, is softening or that they're not doing quite as well on the retail side of things. Mm-hmm. But um, you've, you've had major companies all reaching new, new highs. The banks, Morgan Stanley's at a new high, Honeywell, all of them. And that's largely off the fact of you've had um, good earnings results um, that's pulled the market up and you've continued to see low interest rates. But you could argue that even in the last two weeks, there was quite a he- heavy sell-off in some of the smaller cap growth names. Um, things in America such as Fubo TV, um, the likes of Roku, quite a few of them. They're really probably high beta stocks, which are more risky and smaller. Some of the fintechs like um, Sophie, um, which is quite well known, they all got heavily sold off and there's only been buying in the last few days, which has suggested you've seen a bottom again. So it's really hard when you just look at the index because under the index, there's a lot of different machinations going on in terms of stocks in different sectors or different sizes of stocks. You've had really strong performance, for example, out of the lithium stocks, whereas the um, car manufacturers have been had a big sell-off and that's largely due to the chip shortages. Mm-hmm. But if you are going to look at the, the index level and that Buffett valuation, the one thing that you have to bear in mind is that it's, that type of valuation measure doesn't take into account how low interest rates are. So with interest rates as low as this, um, the, the, the traditional um, valuation of the US share markets, the, probably the better way to do it is looking at the earnings yield and comparing that over time. And if you do that, the market isn't as high. And there's a very good presentation from David Bassanese, again, at Beta Shares, and you can go onto their website. And he presented uh, last week or the week before, and it'll show you a chart. And this is the thing, it's, it's at the moment, markets um, are probably more sensitive to where the 10-year treasury bond is, where that yield is, rather than anything else. And obviously earnings. And as long as the earnings remain good, then if you don't get a huge upward spike in rates, which is highly unlikely, Mm -hmm. uh, because at the moment the Federal Reserve is only talking about talking about tapering, not raising interest rates. Mm -hmm. So as long as earnings are maintained, then markets will be sustained. But at some point, 
a 5% correction is probably reasonable. And a lot of commentators are saying that might come in September and October. But mm. markets are so bizarre when everyone decides that there might be 5%, you know, sell-off. Mm. Well, everybody's sitting in the bear camp, which means usually the other thing happens, which means <laughs> they don't go down. <laughs> the other point is... Um, Goldman Sachs did some research and there's currently $5.5 trillion of um, money sitting in cash management funds across the globe. So there's massive, massive liquidity. So even though retail investors in the US have some of their highest levels of shareholdings over time, you've still got a massive amount of cash sitting on the sidelines. And I wrote in my latest blog piece that uh, Comsec had announced that if you were holding in the international Comsec account, uh, Swiss francs, Japanese yen, um, I think it was Swedish krona. Well, the one that stood out, um, and it could have been euros as well, the one that stood out was uh, if you were holding Swiss francs, you would be charged under 100,000 Swiss francs, negative 2.5%, okay, to have your money in there by Pershing, which is, is basically um, uh, the, the, they hold the funds for you. Um, and if it was over 100,000 Swiss francs, you would charge minus 4.5%. So basically, the Swiss Central Bank does not want you to hold your currency in Swiss francs. They want you to invest it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's the thing. You have negative nominal rates over in Europe. And that's the thing. The world is still awash with liquidity. Yeah, that's the interesting piece. We were actually discussing that last week or the week before how parts of the Europe's have, parts of the Europe have got negative rates, which is kind of uh, forcing investors to take riskier bets to some extent. Oh, it's been like that for for ages. I mean, real rates are negative here. Real rates are you know negative in the US, and that's the thing. It's 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 these extreme um, monetary measures that have been adopted by central banks. <clears throat> exactly um what are your thoughts on the reporting season so far uh, so the u.s has been really really strong um and uh basically i said this, i was trying to get some numbers for you um so as of the 13th of august 91 percent of the s p had reported and out of that 87 percent of companies had reported uh, revenues above estimates. So you're continuing to see upside surprises there in the second quarter earnings out of the US. In Australia, um, I was looking at FN Arena's corporate um, calendar and the results so far, and we're currently just over half of the ASX 200 that's reported. 38.6% um, had beat market estimates, 40.5% were in line, and 20.9% were a miss. So it's a strong reporting season. Some companies um, have come out with not so good results and have been sold down heavily. Others have had great results. But the most notable thing has been the massive, massive dividend payments. And that uh, means uh, that we are moving back to those pre-pandemic levels in terms of dividend payouts. Mm -hmm. So BHP registered or pay, is paying out US $15 billion in dividends, the highest on record for Australia. Mm -hmm. And this phenomenon is also being seen around the globe. Um, and there were some numbers cited from Janice uh, Henderson, if anyone's interested, that 
after having a sharp fall in dividends last year for obvious reasons, um, this second quarter you've seen a 26% increase in dividends across the globe for the second quarter ending June 30. And by year end, um, global dividends should be up at US $471 billion, which is only down 6.8% year on year. And by next year, they should be up a bit further. So really, you, one could argue that across the globe, markets are being supported as well um, because of the large payouts of dividends to shareholders. Fair enough. Um, obviously, during this COVID period, likes of homeware companies or renovations like Adairs, Nick's Galley, all of them uh, have performed well. If Australia was to be vaccinated and uh, market was to, or the economy was to open up to COVID normal, do you see a shift in the performance of some of these companies into other sectors? Yeah, it'll probably do the same thing as it did last time. So do the rotation trade into reopening stocks, mm -hmm. um, services sector and the like. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the end of the day, you've got to remember the Australian economy is very much focused on the housing market, the property market, supporting those prices because there is a wealth generation effect mm -hmm. out of firming rising house prices. And I know that the, I haven't looked at the Nick Scarly share price, but how many sofas can one buy? It's quite staggering. <laughs> In terms of their results, Adairs, I think you've already seen that share price already come up, uh, come off post its announcement. And that's probably got to do with the fact that there's still this uncertain outlook for the economy. And also some of these businesses continue to invest to grow their online platforms. Yeah. So shareholders, as much as they really should like companies to invest in the future, you often see when companies announce an increase in their investing program mm. that shareholders go, oh, well, I don't want to hold it. But actually, that's what you do want to hold because you need companies to invest for the future. Fair enough. Uh, I was actually reading an article published by Shane Oliver, I think it was, uh, that they're expecting the housing market to grow by about 20% just this year. So that means there's a fair bit of property transactions to be to have mm. to happen in the rest of the during the rest of the year. So, is that house prices he's referring to? Yep. Mm -hmm. On average. The, yeah, it's just a blanket yeah. throughout Australia that it, they've it, already moved quite a lot. I don't know. I mean, this the price moves up here in Sydney have been crazy. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing in Victoria to some extent. But last time I had you on the show, Danny, uh, one of your favorite sectors at the time was the banking sector, even though yep. it was facing few headwinds from uh, uh, likes of fintech and all. Um, and obviously, CBA has performed pretty well. I think it's hit its all-time high again and gone past that. Uh, what's your outlook for the banking sector yeah, it's interesting. I, 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 still, I still struggle with a lot of the Australian banks. I prefer the likes more, which is more an asset manager, like Macquarie Bank and the same uh, like Morgan Stanley over in the US. Mm -hmm. um, and if you want to hold a bank here in Australia, I think probably Commonwealth Bank is the one because a lot of the, the Australian banks will do well if there's an expectation that you're going to see um, a positive yield curve. So the 10-year the bonds in Australia and the US starting to move up again because that suits 
their funding model and their margins. Mm-hmm. But underlying all of that, a lot of the returns in the bank shares have largely been predicated off the fact that they were heavily sold off last year and it's a recovery and the economy has has recovered. But they're very, very highly geared into the housing market. That's the first thing. A lot of them have underinvested for years and years and years to maintain those high payout ratios and, and share buybacks. Mm-hmm. And the, all of them, like Westpac, um, has continued to be divesting uh, peripheral operations and divisions to generate returns. And they're also focusing on cost cutting. So you can imagine all the um, bank branch closures, um, introduction, hopefully, of some new technologies, improved, um, you know, customer service uh, on a digital level and the thing is is the banks here they've they've survived because they're an oligopoly but i still think that they are a challenged sector going forward they're basically a call option on the property sector that's how i see it but i think that given that the likes of um, jamie diamond from jp morgan cited in the uh, first quarter earnings call that all the larger banks should be bleep scared of fintechs, then I think that the differences in the past between the Australian banks being fundamentally protected because it is an oligopoly and it is in Australia and that they they couldn't be subjected to competition. I think fintechs are going to really challenge that. Mm -hmm. And I've described in a couple of presentations um, in relation to my second book about US markets, in the pandemic, the geographic borders have been consolidated. It's like the walls have gone up, but digitally all all the barriers have broken down we've all become much more reliant on the digital economy. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. It's the adoption um, of the likes of the afterpays. And now with this big deal with Square, with Square buying afterpay, the biggest corporate deal mm-hmm. in Australia's history, $39 billion, it is a script swap. Mm-hmm. One has to look out because these fintechs are coming after the, the hearts, the eyes and the wallets of mm-hmm. the younger generation without all the heavy um, fixed costs of the big banks. Mm -hmm. And for the younger generation, if they're not necessarily going to be buying a house and getting a mortgage, then -hmm. they're going to have no customer loyalty to some Mm -hmm. of the traditional banks. Uh So my preferred are... I own um, some Commonwealth Bank and I own Morgan Stanley in the US. And that's more from from the perspective of asset management um, and, you know, corporate corporate deals, etc. So they're not, um, and I've got Macquarie Bank here. So it's more a case of um, a diversified financial rather than a pure retail bank. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I was actually, um, I think in one of the previous episodes, I cannot remember which one, but you did mention Bank of Queensland, I think at the time. Yep. Uh, with them acquiring MeBank, I think. Yep. Was- yeah, yeah, the analysts still have a buy on that. I've actually got some of that. So that might be a bit of a turnaround situation. Fair enough. Uh, now I was reading an article, Danny, and I was keen to see what your thoughts are. Uh, I think the article was by Roger Montgomery um, 
on three of the investment ideas for 2021. Um, uh, and one of them was the uranium sector. Um, and the other one was actually, uh, it's completely different, which is in the crypto space is the Ethereum. Yep. A uh, lot of NFTs and everything uh, with all the stuff that's going on in that space. So going uh, off the guard over here a bit, what are your thoughts on both of them? I don't have any strong thoughts on uranium, except I know people are bullish on it. Uh, look, if you're looking at energy production, at the end of the day, there's been rapid, rapid cost depreciation cuts in renewables. And renewables is going to beat, is beating everything hands down. Mm -hmm. And this whole bullish thesis on uranium, I don't know, I'm personally not convinced. It's not somewhere I would go. Maybe it's so beaten up and there's no supply at the moment. But there are so many hurdles towards nuclear energy, the long lead times, the costs, you've got the whole risks of um, you know, having a natural disaster like Fukushima. And someone laughed at me when I was talking about this in a presentation. I could hear them scoff at me. But at the end of the day, we can't ignore those risks. And the need to decarbonize is that urgent. And the money is flowing that much more into battery technology and storage and renewables. And the the cost declines there are so, so rapid mm -hmm. that I kind of question where is uranium going to get its legs, but I'm not an expert there. Mm -hmm. So I know people are pushing it. It's not something that I would play around in it. I find commodities markets very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, as per Ethereum, yeah, everyone's bullish again, or a lot of people were doing the, the buy. Um, of Ethereum, as you say, on the back of it's got the best blockchain technology, etc. Um, but I don't consider that being in the same asset class as an equity. So, you know, I'd, I'd prefer not to go there except to say I hold stocks like Tesla and Square and PayPal, and they all have exposure to Bitcoin. And, uh, um, you know, to me, you, you either love the crypto space a bit like you love the gold space and you know i kind of will leave that to you um because i think digital currencies are probably coming at some stage yeah uh, i agree on that part but no one knows what the value of these digital assets are and whether they no. as an asset or not that's the yeah. and it's just as is, is someone was saying to me i was looking at those nft things because paypal is facilitating the purchase of um, NFTs and there was a big one that was sitting up on uh, Times Square uh, with its QR code and it's kind of symptomatic of just the, so much liquidity in the system and people going oh well I just can't buy shares or I just can't buy this I can't buy that I have to move out to here for whatever reason and a narrative is created mm. to suit why you need to buy it. Mm -hmm. It's also to some extent I think a marketing strategy where uh, it's a, a hyped marketing in a way that NFTs are selling for such a high amounts. And when you look at some of those MF NFTs, like if I take a screenshot of this, make this an NFT right now, what uh, this Zoom session, uh, maybe we'll get 10, 20, 100 ETH for that too. <laughs> uh, but it's just a uh, it's just a hype that is being created, to be honest. Yeah, it's another one of those bubbles. And, and investors need to be really careful. I wrote about this in the latest blog piece. So I was holding Moderna 
which as you all know, is the supplier of the mRNA vaccines. Mm -hmm. And I bought it, I don't know, at the beginning of the year, I think it was about $150. Anyway, it went absolutely berserk, went through to about $420, $430. I sold it at $411 because it became a mean stock. And one has to be really careful when you're investing that once you get a crowd of retail investors that are pushing this on social media through Reddit, through mm-hmm. Robinhood or zero, you know, zero cost platforms, you can see a stock go up mm-hmm. double overnight and it just bears absolutely no reality to what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it happened today, actually, with WiseTech. I was holding that. That was up 51% and I sold it today because I'd made... I'd almost doubled my money since May and it was because the short sellers had shorted it and there was short covering. So I just want to remind your listeners that when you get these amazing share price movements, uh, just remember there's a whole lot of other factors going in there. It might not be because you're the most intelligent and best investor in the world. Mm-hmm. You just happen to get lucky and be in the right place at the right time. So mm-hmm. with meme stocks, be careful because when the retail investors dump them, they can easily fall 50% and never recover again. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that with Moderna because Moderna actually does something and it's got real cash flows, mm-hmm. but you, this is just this kind of hype that's in the markets at the moment. So what's your personal favorite one pick in each sector, right? Um, technology doesn't have to be AS, ASX, can be US company or whatever. I still think investors need exposure to uh, cybersecurity. Cybersecurity. Yeah. Palo Alto had great results. CrowdStrike's going into the NASDAQ 100. I own both of them. Uh, Again, it's hard to pick exactly which one. I do know that um, some of the experts in the US are calling Zscaler, which is going to report next week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, a cloud uh, cybersecurity, cloud-based cybersecurity software, cybersecurity software stock. I think they've got more exposure to some of the government um, uh, programs. But to me, that's just a sector that is just got ongoing exponential growth. And clearly the Delta variant is going to stay with us for a while. It's not going COVID's not going anywhere. Let's hope we don't get too many nasty mutations. But the shift to digital, which started to accelerate and has been pulled forward through the pandemic, it's unlikely that's going to change anytime soon. And I think ransomware attacks, malware attacks, they're just going to continue to grow. So cybersecurity, if you're looking at tech, that's probably uh, one of my you know, long-term favourites. And there are some good ETFs out. I think Hack in Australia, iHack in the US, you can Google them. Mm -hmm. Uh, How about healthcare? Healthcare? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a broad subject. Uh, It's tricky, again, because some of them in Australia, such as ResMed, have run really, really hard Mm -hmm. um, and have done very, very well. One might, I mean... That arguably has benefited from Philip's product falling at the, the first hurdle and they've had to withdraw it. They're also COVID beneficiaries. Mm-hmm. 
that is always a great long-term stock. Um, one could argue um, that CSL, although it's rallied, I think, back up to $308, is a reopening play mm -hmm. for 2022 because they've continued to suffer from uh, a lack of plasma collections uh, with the closure of the border in the US with the Mexicans. Mm -hmm. uh, and what else is possibly, uh, Ramsey is possibly a reopening trade as well. Over in the US, I have been long a healthcare ETF and done quite well. And I also bought a company called Regeneron, which has done very well. And that's also got um, a product to help people recover from COVID. Uh, so again, you've got to kind of differentiate between whether or not you're going down the hospital route or whether you're doing like a software company like Promedicus, which supplies um, software services to the radiographers. Again, that came out with a great result, but the share price has run away. Mm -hmm. uh, or whether you're looking at a more traditional type of um, uh, biosciences, old school companies such as a Merck or an Abbott over in the US. Mm -hmm. But I do think that Mike Wilson has been in the US has been right. There's been a rotation back into more defensive stocks because mm -hmm. Morgan Stanley is of the view that you have actually US has parked past peak growth. Mm -hmm. Last one, commodities. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> if we've passed peak growth, you don't want to go there. <laughs> oh, it's a bit hard, isn't it, when iron ore has just fallen out of bed by 40% and you've had some huge share price falls. I think I'm more disposed towards companies that are gearing themselves towards decarbonisation and climate change risk. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you could look at the moves that BHP have made the moves that uh, Fortescue is talking about. Mm. Uh, I think people have to remember with the likes of oil, you're seeing a massive consolidation mm. in the oil industry. So you've had the merger of the BHP oil assets with Woodside. Mm -hmm. You've seen Santos and Oil Search getting together. Mm -hmm. And you're going to continue to see consolidation because there is an expectation that the industry is going to shrink over time. Therefore, it's the strongest players that will be benefiting from the decline in um, uh, new production coming on stream. And mm. that's the irony. When a commodity is in a, a dying phase, it doesn't mean that the, shit, the, that the actual commodity price won't go up. Mm -hmm. Because research, uh, um, not research, um, exploration stops because people realise that the, the, the commodity only has a certain lifespan before it's going to become a stranded asset. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Uh, it's funny that just the market is talking about commodities a lot, a lot these days. Really? Well, if the US dollar gets any stronger, commodities are going to struggle. Well, we saw that with the gold getting hammered to some extent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Totally agree on that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Anything else, Danny, that you'd like to add before we start wrapping this up? That's pretty much all I had. No, I think that's probably it. Um, I still remain disposed towards uh, themes, secular, mega secular trends um, over trying to play cyclicals. If you do want to have cyclicals, get quality industrials, quality banks, um, mm. always stick to the quality theme. 
surely. Um, great chat, Danny. And sorry, I think it's been uh, longer than a month. I oh, that's all right, Jazz. <laughs> I won't take it personally. <laughs> but to the listeners, none of this is financial advice. Uh, please do your own research. Play safe, stay safe, and we will see you guys next week. Cheers, Jazz and Danny. <laughs>